It's upfront and it's candid. This is Unrestricted. What is happening, everyone? This week I sat down with uh, probably my most important and influential and educational guests. And I'm not taking anything away from my fantastic guests before. Uh, So just let me explain here. I've been moved by this whole regenerative farming thing that's going on around the country, around the world. I watched a documentary called The Biggest Little Farm, you know, many, many months ago and was quickly just, um, I think, blown away by by what it means and how we treat our our dirt and our soil and what we're doing to the ag system and farming and all this other stuff. And that led into other podcasts that I was listening to um, that led into the the latest documentary, Kiss the Ground, uh, which is a fantastic documentary. And so I thought to myself, boy, this would be really fun if I could find somebody in Minnesota that was practicing this way. I did a quick Google search and right at the top of the list, uh, Cody and Carly, they are the owners and operators of 10 Creek Range by Stony Creek Farm, not far from the Twin Cities in Redwood Falls, Minnesota. They are leading this movement in the state of Minnesota, and they've been trained by the the leading experts in this field as well. And I'm telling you, everyone, it's going to be um, the thing that you will walk away with that you will want to tell all your friends about. Uh, tell all of your farmers to look into, and this is the way we should be doing this. This is the way that we should be f- be farming. This is the way that we should we should look at our our earth and our planet and how we can help each other out. It's awesome. I hope you guys enjoy it. Please spread the word. You're gonna really enjoy the enthusiasm and the passion at which Cody and Carly uh, come at this podcast with, and 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 what they believe is the right practice in farming. So here it is, uh, Cody and Carly, Ten Creek Range by uh, by Stony Creek Farm. This is those guys unrestricted. This is brought to you by Douglas and Todd Small Batch Bourbon. It's Minnesota-made and nationally recognized gold medal bourbon. Douglas and Todd has aged over five years. That's right, five years in white American oak barrels. And it's subject to the drastic temperatures of the Minnesota North Country. And all that cold and heat, well, it allows the barrels to breathe much more frequently, which gives it that smooth, award-winning taste. They also believe in a regenerative system of distillation. What the hell does that mean? Well, all the wheat in the corn is grown just 30 miles from the distillery. Then the fermentation waste is used back at the farm for cattle feed. That's what that means. It's eco-minded and taste approved. It's Douglas and Todd bourbon. Please enjoy responsibly 21 plus bourbon whiskey, 46.5% alcohol by volume produced and bottled by Ed Phillips and Sons Company, Princeton, Minnesota. Well, how about this? We added yet another supporter to our team. This episode is also brought to you by my good friend, Pat Kelly at Wexford Harbor Insurance. I don't know. Maybe I was like a lot of you guys. I thought all insurance was the same. Just give me the cheapest price and let's move on. Well, I was so, so wrong. You know, Pat and his staff helped educate me on what was the appropriate coverage and what is the best value, not just the cheapest price. 
He can do all of that because he's an independent agent. He's not owned or limited by big box companies. Nope. He represents over 40 different insurance carriers. And those 40 different insurance carriers, they work for him and they work for you. Go to wexford-harbor.com slash unrestricted for a quote. And keep in mind, it's the old school fancy spelling of Harbor, H-A-R-B-O-U-R. Or hit him up at their email at info at wexford-harbor.com. We got another one. Thank you, Pick and Shovelware, for sponsoring Unrestricted Podcast. You can find Pick and Shovelware at pickandshovelware.com. They're a Minnesota-based apparel company. They've got shirts and hoodies and hats. And what they do is they create conversations with what you're wearing based on unique fan-made designs of your current and classic Minnesota athletes and events. I actually have the World Series winning Twins baseball shirt that has the batting stances of the starting lineup for those Minnesota Twins. And I will tell you that it is definitely a conversation starter because it's unique, it's different. And everybody that, that looks at that shirt when I'm wearing it, they say, what the hell is it? What? And they kind of look at it like, oh, I get it. That's all the batting stances. And then we have a little quick conversation. That's what they do. They do unique stuff. So for this podcast, you get 20% off your first order if you type in the promo code LIBER. That's L-E-B-E-R, 20% off your first order. It's pickandshovelware.com. Guys, please check it out. Please support yet another Minnesota-based company. And thank you for jumping on board with the Unrestricted Podcast. Lieber, 20% off your first order. Well, this is my first podcast episode that I've done where I've never met the people and the subjects before. Um, Cody and Carly, uh, you guys are the owner-operators of Ten Creek Range by Stony Creek Farm in Redwood Falls, Minnesota. So yes. that's that's a lot to say, but good to meet you guys. Thank you guys for being here. Yes, it's very nice to be here. Thank you for having us. You know, I, I've i been interested in this subject for, um, I wouldn't say a long time, but it's definitely piqued my interest. So I will, I probably won't do it justice um, really going into it. So I do want to start off and have you guys have the floor. You got the mic. You guys explain to the audience what exactly is it that you guys do and what is regenerative agriculture and regenerative farming? So on our farm, Stony Creek um, Farm out by Redwood Falls, Minnesota, we're a sixth generation farm. Uh, we farm right along the Minnesota River Valley. So we've got some hills and rocky soil and sand. So we've kind of got a mix of it all. My parents have been farming since the 90s. Um, we've, like I said, we've been on the farm for a long time, many generations. And it got to the point where um, there were a lot of changes that came in the ag industry in the 70s and 80s. And because of our disadvantage in location, we jumped on those opportunities only to see the downfall about 20 years later. Um, And by that point, we had hit rock bottom to the point where the banker said something's going to change. And my dad's always been very curious about the way his grandfather farmed during the Dust Bowl because he raised, he was able to raise corn or uh, cow feed during the drought while everybody else was going out and plowing up and plowing up everything they've had to try to get soil to the top of the ground to stop the erosion. And um, we, we had to make a change. And my parents, my dad's always been a very interested person. And my mom being off of, from off of the farm, always asked questions. 
And that made my dad seek out the answers a lot more. And then he kind of had an oh wow moment where he was like, you know, why are we making all these passes across the field? Why are we buying hay when we have the grass if we would just utilize it differently? And that access to knowledge wasn't there 20 years ago like it is now. I mean, my parents are in Indiana right now at a at a class learning more about grazing and they've been doing this for 25 years and it's just constant learning and implementing it on our operation. So our main goal with our farm is to conserve and be mindful of water and soil erosion. We, like I said, we are on a water tributary to the Mississippi River and we see the amount of dirt and soil and erosion that happens in our area. We're next to a large, a few large co-ops and that impacts our day-to-day lives. We see it in air quality, water quality, um, just the quality of life and the people around us. We have a really high cancer rate in our area. Really? Um, yes. My mom had breast cancer herself. We have, it's chronic in our family history. So Countless stories in our area of, yep. can- of cancer. And we can trace that back to how we farm. Yep. And, you know, they say it rolls downhill. Well, everybody is downhill from us when we're at the top of the Mississippi River. So my dad felt it was his responsibility as somebody uphill. We should be doing something for those downhill. You know, we're seeing the implications of our actions in Louisiana, in the Gulf. We're seeing it just just multiple states downriver from us. And we see it in our own backyard, in our own environment with livestock, with our own livestock, with neighbors. And so we we just, we made the change. We had to do something different. And it's been 25 years of trying anything and, that was different. And when they started this journey, from what I can gather, talking to her parents is they might not have known specifically that they were on the regenerative path. And a lot of farmers seem to start out that way. That's how Gabe started. He did it out of necessity. Yep. And just and so everybody know, G- Gabe is who? Uh, G- Gabe, Gabe Brown. He's from um, Bismarck, or right? Bismarck, North Dakota. Right outside of Bismarck, yep. So he farms. Um, he is one of the the pillars of regenerative agriculture. He is very wise. Talk to him about anything, and he'll educate you <laughs> on everything. Um, and he's been practicing regenerative agriculture, no-tilling, getting away from GMOs and pesticides, herbicides, all of those things. And then he started uh, an organization called... um, Understanding Ag. Understanding Ag and... Soil Health Academy. Soil Health Academy with three other teachers in in the United States. And now they go across the United States presenting and putting on classes for other farmers and they're working with bigger companies like General Mills and John Deere to formulate partnerships for people producing for those companies so that they're able to have access to this education too because they see the importance of regenerative agriculture and conserving what we have while we can work on bettering, getting to the point where we can start bettering what we've got left. Well, and you guys come from completely different backgrounds you know maybe not so much you Carly you grew up on the farm it's it's something that you want to do since you were a child but Cody you've you've had to learn this whole thing this you've you kind of married into this process and so tell us a little bit about back your background and now what you do at 10 Creek 
so my background is I was a mechanic, you know, by trade, and I did that for about 10 years and met my wife Carly and her family threw me in feet first into the regenerative farming side of things. And I didn't know any different. Um, so I had no, you know, conventional farming background to look back and say, well, this doesn't seem right or anything. So I was more like Don in the fact that I was really open and I asked a lot of questions. Um, and I'm, I'm still learning, still feel like I'm always treading water whenever I'm around her dad. So, but having Gabe and the other partners of uh, understanding egg to always bounce questions off has really fast tracked my education. And as far as Ten Creek range goes, you know, that's where we bring the products that we grow uh, to the consumers. So that's basically my role in the farm, obviously helping out as much as I can. Um, but that's been my side of it is the marketing side and being able to bring the more nutrient dense food that we have to the consumers. And he's a huge edu educator for our consumers. You know, we had a lot of customers that came to us and asked, why is your product more expensive than what we can buy at the grocery store? And it's to the point now where we have to explain you get exactly what you pay for. And um, that's not so true now that we're in the middle of a pandemic because you're going to pay what they ask you to. And <laughs> before that, everybody would ask us questions. We'd send them away. They'd maybe buy a couple products and then couple weeks later they'd come back with their friends or they'd right. come back with their yeah. grandparents or yep. and they just hearing us talk about regenerative and what we're doing with our um with our livestock and with our crops and seeing the how that correlates with the products that they're buying from us intrigued so many people to educate themselves and ask questions that they never would have beforehand. Right. And that is what makes me believe that there is nothing about regenerative agriculture that's a fad or a trend. This is this is here to stay. This is what we need as the human population. So there's so much that I, th I think that we have to talk about with regenerative ag. And I, I don't know a lot. I mean, obviously you guys are here to educate all of us on it. You know, I did watch uh, the latest Netflix documentary, Kiss the Ground. Um, I, I love the Netflix documentary, The, the Biggest Little Farm. Um, I, I saw that on a flight, believe it or not. I, I don't know where I was coming back from. And it was on the back of a, the seat back of a Delta flight. And um, as you guys, you know, you, we were talking before this, like it's you know, the sciences have always kind of been an, an intriguing thing to me. And, and, you know, I grew up in Iowa and South Dakota. So I understand, you know, farming is such a, an important thing for everybody in the Midwest. And I'm sitting on the plane and I'm, I'm like, oh, this kind of looks cute. I don't know. Like, I don't know you know what this is about. And so I, I, I click it and I was just blown away. I was absolutely blown away by, by this documentary. And then I highly suggested my wife, I said, listen, you got to watch this. Like, this is, this is so super cool. It's going to blow your mind on how they take this, this dirt in California and they turn it into this very fertile, fertile soil in this great farm. And we've, and I feel like as a country, we've gone from conventional farming to organic, and to now to regenerative farming. So, the the tenants that I understand, and you guys correct me if I'm wrong, and there's kind of a lot to unpack here. So, according to Kiss the Ground, there's four tenants to regenerative farming. First of all, no-till, mm -hmm. and we'll get into why no-till is important. Uh, cover crops, and then you've got perennials and trees, and then you also have compost and sort of this mob grazing thing with the livestock. And I think the, the, the very 
interesting thing about regenerative farming that I sort of understand is that it, it's a very symbiotic process with the crops, the trees, the flowers, the animals, and we're talking livestock, chickens, pigs, cows, they all, they, they, they're not separated. They're all like, they all kind of work in harmony together. So let's start with no-till. Why no-till? And what was the biggest issue with old school farming tilling versus the new school way of thinking of no-till? So tillage came around because we needed to be able to put the seed in the ground without any barrier. Um, and what we didn't realize, there's so much unknown about the soil that we walk on top of. We have a very, very dim understanding of what is actually is happening under the soil. Um, and so when we're breaking up the soil with tillage equipment, when we're going out there in the fall with a plow or in the spring with a moldboard plow, you know, whatever weapon you choose, you're breaking down that soil and it's actually releasing carbon back into the atmosphere. So when we say no-till, we mean no-tillage. Our planters don't have any um, any sort of cultivation or tilling, tilling discs on them. Um, so we use a drill to plant most of our crops, and we make sure that we're not breaking open the sod. We have um, pastures on our farm that are actually unbroken, completely unbroken sod. And we pride ourselves on being able to say that this is six generations on this farm, and we've made it this far. We're not going to do it right? now. yeah. So it was a pretty prideful moment when my dad, after 40 years of driving that plow every fall, finally took it and parked it and said no more. So we've been five seasons of completely 100% no tillage. And that um, by not breaking up the soil, you're allowing it to do what it's supposed to. Um, Working with nature is beneficial in so many ways. And in part of that is we're able to sequester carbon out of the atmosphere with our soil, with our practices. And so to me, as a farmer, our soil is way more important than any input that I'm putting on a plant that comes out of the soil. We have to start at the root, at the base of the plant, and work our way up from there. And regenerative agriculture is, that's the the premise of it, is we need to understand the soil. We need to make that healthy first and then everything else will fall in line behind that. And as far as the tillage go, every time you're tilling, you're killing the microbiology in the soil. And the microbiology is the one that's responsible for giving us those nutrients that make those plants so dense. Um, they, they basically take the carbon and make a glue and it holds into the, the soil. I don't wanna say dirt because dirt is dirt and healthy soil we call soil. So yep. um, taking taking that carbon, you can sequester that carbon for hundreds of years or or more. And that's a way that we can cure the climate that we have right now. You know, there's been models showing that if we continue and we can get two thirds of our land on this continent or on this planet, if we can start sequestering carbon now, by the year 2035, we'll start to see a downward trend of the emissions in our atmosphere. That's wild. And that's and that's by that's by changing one thing. Yep. yep. And that's just by no tilling. Yep. So yep. when it comes to tilling equipment, when you guys are drilling your your seeds into the ground, how much more time does that take? And is that a, a more costly implement than than just a set of discs on the back of a tractor? 
So it kind of, it's a toss up. So to us, we see the benefit when you're looking at regenerative agriculture, you can't just look at the price that you're paying for equipment and inputs. You have to look at the value of what you're doing to the ground as well. Um, and no-till equipment is very easy to find compared to 30 years ago. You know, you're not, we had to, when my dad started, we had to fabricate our own drill. <laughs> um, we were in the middle of the yard in during planting season, ripping our planter apart to figure out how we could really? make it work. Um, and So you engineered all that stuff yourself before it was widely available. Yeah, and a lot of farmers have. There are a there's a ton of farmers in our area that actually have no-till drills. Yep. And they use them for various reasons. But now you should be able to find a no-till drill anywhere in the world. They're available mm-hmm. everywhere. And that access has changed the conversation in agriculture. You know, you used to say, well, we, you don't want a plow because you can't get the plow. And then the plow was so big you needed a bigger tractor. And everything got bigger and shinier. But you're not producing anymore. You're not making right. any more yeah. money on the tail end of it. So... I'm fine with our rusted old tractors and drill that we have to retrofit ourselves. Well, and thinking about the cost side of things, well, if you're not running plows across it and you're not tilling up after you harvest, you're saving all of that fuel to begin with per acre. You know, it it adds up really fast. Yep. And when when we, in our seed, we actually plant into green. So we have green covers on our property, on the ground when we're planting. My dad planted into grass that was taller than the tractor hood. Um, He planted corn into that. That's what we planted our corn into this spring in 60 Mm -hmm. inch rows, um, non-GMO corn, open pollinated a complete experiment and it worked out this year and that's kind of just how we're navigating learning this new old system of farming and I as far as time consuming I we've spent less time in the field in the past year than if if you don't have to spend time spreading synthetic fertilizers or spraying chemicals you're you're going to save money not just on the inputs but if you figure your labor into that you're saving money there too. And the tractor running in the field, each pass that you're saving yourself from going across the field, you know, cultivating, spraying, fertilizing, all those passes, that's money back in your pocket. That's money you're not spending. So you can sign the back of the check instead of the front of the check every year, which is the only goal of farming at this point. (laughs) So why is it in my mind, when you're talking about planting a row and an acreage of corn, and, you, and there are wild grasses growing on that plot of land that is as tall as the tractor. Why do we have this sense and this old school thought of we have to have clean rows? You don't want to have any other greenery or any other plants sharing the same soil with, with the corn or whatever you're planting. You know, wh- why did we get to a point where we have to have this clean looking plot of land? And what do the other, what does the natural grasses do for the corn that, that's planted in that same dirt? So to be simple, we took ourselves out of our own ecosystem. We took our presence out of our food production um, and our existence on earth, I guess. We stopped farming with nature. You know, when you look at the U.S. and North America before it was settled, you had these huge herds of buffalo that were roaming. And what they were doing was mob grazing. They weren't overgrazing these huge grasslands. They were taking 50% or less of the plant and moving on. And they were trampling the rest down to the ground. And when they were doing that, they were improving the soil health, the water infiltration. So when it rains, that water was going through and not eroding 
um, creeks on. And not just running off the, yep. top, right. the top soil. Yep. And so when we stopped doing that and moved into modern agriculture, we started with the plows. We started with the monoculture. And the biggest thing that you'll see in regenerative agriculture is monoculturing, monoculture farming, planting only one crop is the single worst thing that you can do yeah. for a piece of land. And so um, that's why we're seeing such advancements in different areas of agriculture now. And we, we want to take those green covers that we're planting into and what they're doing is they're making nutrients available to the crops that we are planting. So they're not stealing nutrients. They're providing nutrients. They're helping provide it. And I think that's the big difference in, in the way we conventionally think about farming, that if you see greenery on the ground. You're like, oh, that's stealing from what you're trying to plant. And you guys are saying in your experience in regenerative ag, it's quite the opposite. Yep. So every time you see a weed out in the field, that's your soil is telling you something. You know, your dandelions are growing out of control at the edge of your field. Well, is your cal- are, you, are you checking your mineral levels in your soils? Are you doing soil samples to see where your pH is at? You know, all those things affect just like in humans, you know, you drink too much pop, you have a zit on your face. You know, if we're not regulating our soil the way that it should be ran with nature, it's going to have issues. You're going to see breakdowns of the infrastructure in the soil. So you're going to have flooding, you're going to have drought, you're going to have weed control issues. Um, And we saw that in the last few years with how much flooding that we've had. That forced a lot of farmers' hands into preventative planting, so they didn't plant the regular row crops, regular regular monocultures. They actually had to plant um, cover crops like rye and to keep sorghum. the ground from running off. Yep, right? and we saw a huge difference in how much soil was actually moving in the winter time when the soil was black again. There was a distinct difference in how much soil moved on the places that had cover all year long versus the places that were monocultured. Well, when you're driving, you know, out of the metro area and you're driving down these country roads and you notice how black some of the ditches are when you hit that January, February mark, and that's all topsoil blowing into the ditches. Wow. And, and that's just wind erosion. We're yeah. losing thousands of tons of soil on a section of land every year just to wind erosion, just to air erosion. And that's absolutely unacceptable. That leads to the complete destruction of humanity. We we as a civilization have seen it in the past. Other huge empires have crashed because their soil could not accommodate to them anymore. You know, if you're not practicing right, every system will fail at some point. And unless we look at everything with a regenerative scope, any system that we put in place is going to fail eventually. And when you're providing food for the world, you can't rely on a system that you know is going to fail. Um, And our current situation now is not good for longevity of agriculture. We have have 60 harvests left before our topsoil is completely gone. 60. As... As, as, the the world, as, as the world farms right now, we have 60 harvests left. That's not a long time. And then what next? What happens after that? That'll, there'll be the complete collapse of our soils. And yeah. that's called desert, desertification. And we're seeing that all over the yeah. world right now. You're seeing that in, um, everywhere. Everywhere. Every continent is facing defor- or desertification of some sort. We're seeing it on, uh, in the Midwest. You're seeing it in fields. You know, all these farmers, you've got three generations on a farm saying, well, we had bumper crop off of this soil. We had bumper crop this year and this year. 
Well, now they're starting to see that their averages are going downhill, their yields are going downhill, and that's the marker that the soil is depreciated. The, the soil is dying. It's, mm-hmm. it's becoming dirt. And, and that's what you're saying, Cody, is it's dirt. Yep. yep. Dirt is different than dirt is just a barren piece of land and soil is this healthy, vibrant. Yep. yep. Got this, the, the bacteria and the microbiome and everything that you're looking for to support life. Dirt yep. is dead and dirt means no people. Yep. Yeah. Healthy, healthy soil, healthy plant, healthy people. Yep. So the the thing that I find fascinating is is from a top level, the 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 direct connection that we have with our individual health and the way that we look at farming and we look at soil and dirt. So, for example, you know, there's this push now in modern medicine to like let's find the root cause of what's wrong with you. Hey, you have an ailment. And we're going to treat the symptoms. That's what it used to be. Now we're looking at this holistically in a way that's, okay, you have a symptom. What's causing that symptom? And maybe it's not X, Y, and Z. Maybe we have to go down a little bit deeper to figure out what that root cause is. Let's fix that, and that will, that will cure you and fix whatever ailment you have. It seems like that's the same thing that we've been doing with conventional farming is we monoculture something that takes the nutrients out of the ground. And then you say, hey, why is this plot of land deficient in all of these nutrients? And we have all these weeds, we have all these quote unquote symptoms of a problem. Well, let's put fertilizer on it. Let's, let's put all this other junk that we don't need. And maybe in our case, it's antibiotics. And we're gonna further kill the soil, which then for, goes down and says, then down the road, it's like, okay, less yield. Now we have to go to GMOs because we need seeds that are resistant to Roundup, glyphosate, all these other things that we're spraying on the fields just just to get to a point where you can grow something on that piece of dirt. Whereas if you just find the root cause is that you're depleting all the nutrients. And the problem that you've seen in the past 50 years is we have enabled the ag industry to get where it is. We have subsidized commodities and anybody could tell you that subsidizing a commodity is guaranteeing that there is no longevity to that industry. We can't afford to, we've put farmers in a position that they've gotten comfortable enough that they can say, I'm going to go out and plant corn this year. Doesn't matter if it comes up out of the ground, I'm going to get an insurance check for it. Well, if we no longer have to force farmers to work for that end product, what are they doing? They they have no investment into their property anymore. And the biggest lesson my dad always taught me was we don't own this land. We're simply renting from the next generation. And having that mindset, especially having children now and seeing, you know, that dirt in the road ditch, that means it's going to go down the waterway. It's going to go into the Minnesota River. It's going to go into the Mississippi River. At the end of the day, it's going to end up at the Gulf. And a fisherman down there is going to lose income because of a choice that I made on my farm. So what can I do today that's going to affect and help everybody downriver from me and the people around me? And by not having a guaranteed paycheck, it means that I have to market my own product. I have to find my own market. Mm -hmm. I have to find my own customers. And I have to diversify everything that I have on my operation to become recession-proof. So we're adding enterprises. We have cattle, we've got pigs, we've got chickens, uh, ducks and goats. 
we've got all sorts of different commodities that we're now raising. We're looking into raising barley and oats and rye and all those things for different feed sources for our animals. But there are niche markets across the state. There are distilleries, there are breweries, there are all these different businesses that as a Minnesotan, I would happily be able to, I'd happily partner with another Minnesota-based company. It's decentralizing the sim- the system in ag that will save us is if we're no longer dependent on that subsidy check coming at the end of the year, we're no longer dependent on that insurance. Right. The bank can't tell us, well, you have to plant this to cover your loan. Right. When they can no longer say that, we have the power as farmers to choose what we want to do. And we haven't had that power in generations. And you see that now with the consumers having the big push in the markets. My dad had the (laughs) luxury when he was in his 20s and 30s. The farmer chose what went to market. But now we're to the point where the consumers are driving this bandwagon and they're asking questions now. They want to know what's going into their food because they're seeing, like you said, it's all related to health. And now that we understand that human health has to do with our digestive systems, what we're putting into grow an end product, what we're putting into our steaks, what we're putting into growing corn that's going into Twinkies or whatever you want to say down the line, that matters because there's nutrient density in those base products, in those base ingredients that you are consuming at the end. What you're buying in the grocery store, that matters. And the fact that so many customers and consumers out there are asking these questions and forcing farmers to be accountable for what they're doing, it's pushing. It's driving this movement. Without the consumer, we wouldn't have this. So the next, the next steps in agriculture, the direction that we take, it's going to be by the consumer's hand. It's right. not up to the farmer. It's not up to politics anymore. It's up to the consumer because they're the ones buying the products. Right. And if we don't have a customer, we don't have a job. Yeah. Well, I think the one thing that you that I learned from the Kiss the Ground documentary and that what you are verifying – uh, in this conversation is the role of diversity on your farm and all farms that and we'll get into and I do want to ask you just the role that animals have in the process and how to take care of the soil but also according to the documentary and again you guys have just um, stated the same thing if there is if you're in a conventional farming system and you have let's say a thousand acres of corn you get one hailstorm that comes through and ruins your crop you're you better have crop insurance because that's the only way you're going to get your check. But basically, you wiped out all the work that you've done. And by diversifying, just like any investment portfolio, if that happens on your guys's farm, well, that might be a 10% loss versus a 100% loss because you've got you've got cattle, you've got the other things, you've got uh, root vegetables, you've got these other plants that you can maybe sell at market. And so now you take a 100% loss where you're relying on insurance companies, uh, the banks, whatever have you, and the pressure and the stress of, of watching the weather, you guys can have that same event and not suffer the loss and still keep your farm going and still keep the checks coming in. Yeah, absolutely. And we've seen that in the past. We've been hit by hailstorms several years in a row and have been lucky to miss it by half mile, quarter mile. (laughs) Um, And because of the diversity that we have, like I said, you become recession proof at some point. You know, if 
if I've got a field of corn and I'm only depending on that for 5% of my income for the year rather than 50% because it's the single crop that I'm growing on my farm, if it hails, I've got cows I can run out there. Three days later, I'm going to run my chickens across it. And after that, I'm going to run my pigs and my goats across it. They've all gotten feed for that week. I've put nitrogen and manure back out on my field and I put minimal work into it. I'm not out 60 hours of work in a tractor. I open the gate and let my livestock go and here we are. And I've improved my soil health while doing that. So you're making a fail-proof system when you're changing the model that you're practicing, especially when you're diversifying with livestock. There's a, it becomes a no-way system. If the product or if the crop doesn't turn out for harvest, harvest it a different way. Hmm. Learn a different, diversify how you're harvesting it. You know, if you change your mindset that you're harvesting with livestock, well, then that cow is going to produce, you know, 10 steaks and a bunch of hamburger. And then that's, that has value. So you need to do all those numbers and you have to run the farm like a business. And I think that that's a huge downfall in small farms and family farms, especially I saw it in my own farm. My dad got comfortable farming with his dad and his dad quit farming. And, you know, there's such a barrier for people, young farmers trying to get into ag, into farming at all. And it's just a huge dilemma to have to deal with. And yeah, now I've completely lost my no, train No, 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 you're, you're, you're fine. The thing is you, you, you're touching on a lot of different things. I do want to, I do want to ask you just in a, in a general sense, like a timeline, just help me understand how it works from, you don't maybe have to go through the whole, the whole year or the whole planting season, but just to get a, an understanding and a visualization of like how it really works, how, how you incorporate the animals in a, in a connection with your crops. You know, do you, you plant the crops, you harvest the crops, and then that section of land is now grazable. And then, and that's for how many months? Like, how does that all work? So, you know, say we just harvested corn, um, then we'll come back or we harvested beans and we came back and we drilled uh, cover crops in and uh, we just moved a herd onto those cover crops that we had planted only a month and a half ago. And that's kind of how it plays into it. And uh, we'll move the cattle out onto the corn that we just harvested. So all the stuff that fell down, all that cover that's down there, they'll go out and they'll graze what's left. And So every acre that we have, whether it be pasture or farmland, we will utilize with livestock. We'll figure out a way to put a fence out there. We'll, we'll get them there somehow. Um, and the the hoof impact from those animals is what we want. We want that disturbance to the soil because that's waking up all those, the bugs that we want, the worms and the roots, and that's causing... So just by them trampling and walking around is good yep. for the soil as well. That that disruption. That, that's, is, our, that's our tillage. Yep. That's the majority of tillage that we get. Oh. So what we were seeing when, you, when buffalo roamed, their impact was part of just the massive amount of tons. You've got to think of the weight, the pounds per acre that had to have been running across those acres of wide open space. That impact helped helped the grass grow back thicker, helped forage come back better, and then those buffalo didn't come back for, you know, six months, nine months, a year. So that soil was completely healed. So what we're doing with our farming practices, we want to figure out a way to 
keep us keep a living root in the ground year round. We want to have cover on the top. We want a crop potentially to harvest, whether it be a cash crop, crop for feed, or if we decide to graze it. Um, but every year we plan out what will go in, and if something is going to be harvested with a combine, we're going to make sure that we're back in that field the next day planting something to come back up because, like I said, we want cover. on We want green growing 100% of the year. And a lot of times, too, say we get in the field and we plant that corn crop, we'll take our drills and customize them to interseed into the corn. So when we're talking about 60-inch rows, that's not normal. When you're driving down the highway, you're probably looking at something closer to a 30-inch row. Um, and we've seen farming magazines way back in the 50s talking about 70-inch rows. So this stuff has been getting talked about for a long time. But doing that interseeding, then we'll harvest that corn and you'll see that cover crop boom right after that. Really? And we don't even have to go back through. Then there's feed coming for the fall and midwinter, you know, and we can continue to graze and not have to move cattle into the lots on the farm. And then instead of, you know, causing emissions, we're, start, we're still sequestering carbon. Yep. Mm-hmm. So this is, when it comes to, let's say the work that's involved, is it more work, less work than a conventional farm? <laughs> Cody, you mentioned that um, earlier that in some respects, because you're not spraying, there's, there's not this fertilization and there's not this, this killing off of weeds and stuff, you're actually not using your, your implements in the field as much. But in a general sense, when you're taking cattle and you got to move them from one field to the next and they're like, hey, we got to move the chicken coop today. Like, you know, is, <laughs> is it about the same amount of farm work or is it more or less? So for us, it's been about the same amount of farm work because we always moved cattle regularly, daily, um, daily before we were really implementing this practice. So now we're moving cattle in smaller groups at least once a day, sometimes two to three times a day. You know, the chickens are only getting moved every other, every few days. And to us, the it's not work. It's enjoyable. You know, you're going out there and it might be early, early in the morning, but those cows are happy. They're lowing in the grass and you're, you're on the wide open plain with the sun coming up and the roosters crowing. and Wildlife that hadn't previously been there. Really? Because of the way you're farming. Oh, we've had so you're seeing a biodiversity even from just oh, wild animals. We had Tons. people stopping on our county road for like three weeks straight, and my dad was so upset. And he's like, why are these people, <laughs> where are they coming from? And they just get out on the side of the road with their binoculars. We had a bird that hasn't been seen in like 25 years. In All of a area. sudden, he's hanging out at our farm. Really? Only place he'll go. Scares the daylights out of our livestock. We had, we had. <laughs> Is that's it a big, like a big bird? Like a what? big white bird. And yep. I can't remember the name of it, but we hadn't seen this in so long. Our own livestock, you know, we've got cows that are 17, 18 years old. They didn't recognize it. So it's spooking them. And finally, my dad approached one of these guys and he's like, yeah, I've been searching in <laughs> Southwest Minnesota for 20 years looking for this bird and I finally found it and it's at your farm like this is so cool Mm -hmm. and so we've seen you know they say if you build it they will come and we've seen the downfall of that Um, (laughs) we had we had a a grazing accident happen um, where we we stockpiled through the winter we wanted green grass so we had a nice paddock that was green in the fall and we left it we didn't graze it we let it snow 
let it get covered up so it was going to, you know, ferment and be really, really good for the cows to dig down to in the spring. And then we had a very, very hard winter, a very, very cold winter, and the wildlife found refuge on our property and ate all of our winter feed that we had stockpiled out on pasture, um, putting us in a predicament, obviously. But it was a good and a bad thing. It was right. kind of like, a, oh, you know, that really, really sucks for us because now it's it's flooding and we don't have feed. But we had 350 deer grazing on our no. property. A giant, giant herd of giant deer. flocks of deer. <laughs> they, they were huge. Yep. And it, it, that was not something that I saw when I was younger. When I was a kid growing up on the farm, you didn't see pheasants and turkeys. And now we've got a very big problem with wildlife, our dogs. We've had to get more dogs because we've got more more wildlife, so that means we've got more predators. Um, but that's part of – that's a benefit and a drawback of working and farming in nature's image. We're building nature back, and so wildlife is seeking that out, and they're finding refuge here. So we've got hunters and – Knocking down the door. Oh, just yeah. Constantly. All the time. Yeah. You know, well, I'm sure. I mean, just the, the deer turkeys. that are there. I'm sure there, there's some big deer there, too. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah the bucks that we've seen. <laughs> and then our dogs will bring up the sheds, too, the antlers. And, you know, you just think how big that that buck's going to be come next year. And, yeah. you know, we've, you know, X, you know, we've had them to the point where they're so thick that, you know, you know, traffic will hit them and, was it last fall? I think her grandpa, he was combining corn, and we had a couple of deer that had Oh, we had injured. one that had gotten hit on the road yeah. and didn't die, so it had made it into the field. And my grandpa and I, my parents were traveling for work, and so my grandpa and I were trying to knock out corn harvest by ourselves, and we were <laughs> about two passes in from the road, and all of a sudden I hear, cluck, 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 bang. <laughs> and I just turned around from the grain cart and see my grandpa just shaking his head. And I look down, and there's this huge bushel basket-sized buck really? with his head in the corn head oh, of the common. No. His antlers stopped it. His antlers went right into the corn head. So my grandpa and I had to sit there and try to sawz all this antler, no. these antlers out of. And he had been dead for a while, you know. And, yeah, that was a downfall. <laughs> and that's the other thing, too, is having all that wildlife. That stuff's not so concerning because it's not going to go to waste. Right. You know, our dogs will get it. I mean, we have coyotes on our property that aren't, they're not really a problem. No. I would say they're, they're But there's there. so many different creatures. There's such a variety. There's such a biodiversity. Yeah. <laughs> that we yep. have so much biodiversity in everything on the farm. The, it's just insane. You know, butterflies, monarch butterflies, the spiders that we had, that very very creepy thing so Gabe Brown has pictures of this I think on his website probably but it happens very rarely and you'll walk outside in the morning and the dew will be set on the grass and it will be covered in spiderwebs no spiderwebs solid on the ground solid from the trees hanging from the trees everywhere. everywhere and we've never ever seen it happen before and this fall, we woke up one day, and I walked downstairs, and Cody's like, it's snowing outside, or it snowed last night. And I looked out, and I was like, that's not snow. Those are all spider webs. Yep. That was spider webs, and it was hanging like curtains, like wow. curtains it, from our trees down to the, down to the ground, and it was covered, the dog so kennels. So what type of spider does that? 
We're not many different types or we weren't sure, but Carly had went out to look to see. And you could see in the webs there were just these little, little tiny black dots and they were little spiders. And but Gabe boy, Brown they went to work that night, huh? Yep. And Gabe Brown had mentioned it before because I'd seen this picture before. I'd seen him talk about it. And it had happened in his pastures and he that was his biggest deal was, you know, if you build it they will come. He built the perfect habitat for it on his farm. So I had put something out on Facebook and like shown my friends what we had and everybody around us said, you know, we had some of that under some of the trees, but we didn't have it all over. We had it all over. It Everywhere. looked like we had an inch of snow on the ground. <laughs> so that was more proof to us that we built the perfect habitat for yeah. this creepy, I give it, um, experience to happen. But it was kind of a once in a lifetime it's, thing that we... so unique, right? Yeah. It's yeah. validation and what you're doing is right. Yeah. Yeah. You're making a difference. You know, when I saw that that show, The Biggest Little Farm, that's the big thing that they encountered as well was just they created this habitat in which all the other animals wanted to come back and live. Yep. And and it it was a it was a cool lesson in life that, you know, they they tried to get rid of the, the coyotes or the coyotes and the fox and whatever that was killing all their chickens. And then they realized they can live together yep. with this thing and like that's actually a resource to this farm let's not get it out of here let's ha- let's see how we can use this thing to make our situation better and so instead of beating their heads against the wall try- <laughs> trying to stop the predators <laughs> they finally allowed it in and you guys you know you're nodding your heads because you guys know what i'm talking about but i do think that that's the um that's the cool thing that what you guys are doing that is outside of the the better crops the more nutrient dense uh, crops that you have um the, the better meat that you guys are raising. You have all this other biodiversity that it's almost like the area in which you guys are living, all the animals are saying, thank you. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Finally, we got a place where we can just kind of hang out. Um, I do want to ask you, do you guys have scientific study or maybe it's anecdotal just from the way you guys observe? Are Do your animals seem happier? Are they healthier animals? Do yes. You, um. <laughs> if, you, if you know what to look for, <clears throat> That's one thing we actually look for every morning when we're going to move the cattle. There's a specific spot on the body, and you can tell if that animal's full and fulfilled, and you can just tell by their overall demeanor. Um, And that's, you know, we're leaving 50% of the plant, but they're still happy. They're still full. And, you know, there is a test you can do to tell at what stage the grass is at for nutrient-dense sugar content and everything. And we try to move the cattle at that time of day. So there is a science behind it. We're not kind of just guessing, although that's probably what we did in the past, is guess and then reorganize and see what we need to change. The best thing that I could say was observation. My dad, that's my dad's biggest teaching tip when Cody came to the farm that was, you know, come on, get in the Kubota, grab a Coors Light, we're going out to the pasture. We're going to go watch <laughs> the cows. Like a good time. We're going to go, go watch the cows for an hour. Grab a couple. Yep. Yep. And that, that's been my dad his whole life. Since he was a little kid, he'd go out and watch the cows. He'd sit in the feed bunk. When I was a little kid, he'd say, go go sit in the feed bunk, go watch the cows. I don't care what you do. Talk to them, sing to them. I don't care. But go watch them because that's how you're going to learn the best animal husbandry. That's how you're going to mimic nature best by watching the animal's natural instinct, you know. And we've we've had red angus cattle on our farm for three generations and we chose them because their disposition is the best, so they're going to be the easiest to work with. They are the most efficient feed-wise, so we're feeding them less in the cold months. We're feeding them less when it's really hot out there. And we've trained our cows 
because they're on pasture and fields so much, they actually eat snow in the wintertime. So they're not wasting calories walking back and forth mm. to the water water tank. Um, so they're, they're really, really efficient animals, and we want to use efficient animals. So we go out and watch our chickens every night. We watch the sheep and the goats and try to see where we can improve our systems and our animal husbandry to improve their quality of life, the end product, all of those things all tie together so tightly that you just have to go out there and observe so that you can fix the whole system. And that's that's something, you know, this summer with our chickens that we have layers and we had about 300 of them to start. And people ask us, you know, well, how do you keep them? How do you keep track of them? There's no fence out there. And that's true. They they can walk wherever they want to. They can go over to the next county. They're truly free range. They're truly they can, free range. Yeah. And a lot of the stuff you'll see in the store says cage free, but that's not necessarily free, you know. And we see that result in the end product. With a happy chicken, we're going to get a better yolk. And you can compare the two. You know, you can tell yeah, the difference. The, the color is going to be different. Yeah. yeah. The texture and... The end product is going to be different. Our kids, I can taste the difference between the eggs that we've bought from the store and the eggs that we harvest from our own chickens. Our kids are spoiled because, you know, we have overabundance of it, but they won't touch store-bought eggs. There's a difference. There's no flavor to them, I guess you could say. Yeah. In the yolks, there's no flavor to it. And that's a real pain in the butt when you just want a McDonald's breakfast, <laughs> yeah, breakfast exactly. sandwich <laughs> like, in the morning. <laughs> we're in a hurry. We're in a bind. You just got to get something in your stomach. And then you hear all three of them screaming, no. Yeah. I was going to uh, bring up, too, you mentioned this earlier about the carbon. You know, that is the sequestering of the carbon. Um, that was such a big thing in the documentary, Kiss the Ground, was just how important is it to not till because you're releasing. And I had no idea that when we... We as a worldwide agricultural uh, planet, when they till here, China, India, Europe, uh, South America, the amount of, of carbon dioxide that's actually released into the air is astronomical. And, and I think that's a really important thing um, to, to know about regenerative ag is that when the plants eat or when they breathe the, the carbon dioxide, 40% of that's going into the soil and into the roots and it's going to stay there. And Cody, like you're saying, it kind of creates this glue to like keep the, the, the soil and the dirt from eroding and all this other stuff. And then when we cut into that and we flip it over, we actually release all of that back into the atmosphere. And, and so I thought that was a really, I mean, hugely important thing. Again, going back to not just, are we making dirt into soil and we making it better? we can actually create this drawdown effect that if worldwide we didn't till and we took not not all this other cover crop stuff, not all the, the animals and, and everybody live in this symbiotic relationship, if you just don't till, we, we, are, we potentially save the planet without doing anything else. Yep. And I think that was the, that was the mind-blowing aspect of this documentary. It's like, we're not talking about cars. We're not talking about coal plants. We're not talking about all this other stuff. If you just don't till, and we keep the plants in the ground in the way it's supposed to be, we can actually have this drawdown effect of we're, we're healing our planet. The simplicity is maddening, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> so that's the huge thing that we've seen in, in what we do moving forward um, has been everybody looks at regenerative agriculture and you hear it and you think that's complicated. It's new. It's a fad. It's a trend. My great-grandpa was 
practicing regenerative agriculture by throwing turnips and radishes and rye out in a field during the Dust Bowl because he knew that plants need water, so they're going to hold water in their root system, so maybe my dirt won't fly all the way to Texas. And that that was the only scientific basis he had, Yeah. but that's how he farmed. He He put his life on it, he put his career on it, and he made it work. And so that's where we're we're going backwards. We're, we don't need to go forward. We need to go back to the basics. We need to go back to the way we were farming four generations ago, five generations ago. And there's such a gap in people who are on the farm and people who are off the farm. You've got such a polarization between the customers and the people who are producing the, the consumable products. Um, and I think bridging that gap is a good place to start in kind of building that relationship back. How are you guys viewed to the farmers around you that are still doing <laughs> the the regular farming? Outcast. Outcast for sure. It, it's not quite as bad as what Don Grant and Carly had to go through. Um, but definitely, you know, if we're in a situation where there's other farmers around and we get into a conversation, we definitely hold back because there's some that just aren't ready aren't ready to hear that message yet. But when when they're ready, they'll find you. And our goal with regenerative agriculture is never to talk down on any other practices. We don't ever want to talk down on any anybody's operation or, you know, but there's such a hard wall to break through for especially generational farmers. I can say it. I'm a four I'm multiple generations on our farm. My dad will be the first one to attest to it. It's so hard when you have your dad and your grandpa and your great grandpa all looking at you and you could be the generation you're going to be the generation that takes over so you're going to be the generation that could possibly lose lose the farm and that's a huge amount of stress to put on someone and then to say well there's this way of practice and what i'm implying is that it's better than the way you're doing it so you've been doing it wrong your grandpa's been doing it wrong right. and that's not the approach that we need to take we need to take a different, more gentle approach to educating well, education, people. Yeah, educational approach. And that, that's where the gap is, I think, is education. That's where Soil Health Academy comes in and understanding ag and the consultants. Yep. Is we're trying, we need to bridge that educational gap. And, you know, it's going to be hard to get the older generation to move towards this, but our generation is where we're going to see huge change. And it's coming up. The next 10, 15 years is a lot of farms are going to be changing hands into the next generation's management. And unfortunately, there 10, 15 years, if we've only got 60 harvests left of soil that is mm -hmm. going to actually produce anything worth harvesting, uh, 10, 15 years, we've, that, that cuts our harvest down a little bit. We need to start moving quicker. So Cody and I's goal with our business with 10 Creek was we wanted to do as much good for our community as we could. And if I didn't, if I couldn't do good with it, I didn't want, I didn't want to go into business. Um, I didn't care how financially advantageous it was for us. So our goal with working with Understanding Ag is we are hoping to, we will be launching candles, soaps, and salts that are all natural. Um, the candles will have zero pollutants and all of that stuff. And our first year in business, we are going to donate $1 for every candle sold to Soil Health Academy for a scholarship program because... That's the biggest thing is, you know, a lot of these guys, it, it costs money to go to these classes. 
but they do have scholarship programs and people like General Mills, uh, I think McDonald's even. McDonald's, John, John Deere, Deere. They're, they're all putting money towards this to help educate farmers. And that's proof that and the consumer is driving the yeah. boat. You know, if you've got yep. big company coming up and saying, you know, our customers are asking us these questions and now we've got to give them answers, that that's forcing their hand. And that's what I mean by the customers driving the boat. You know, if you're holding the big company accountable, they have to hold all of their smaller contractors, all the people providing for them. They have to hold them accountable. Right. And you can't you can't fudge your way out of that. No. Well, and they must they obviously realize that if they want to have longevity in doing what they're doing, and if you guys are saying that sixty harvests left before our good soil is gone and we just have nothing but dirt, they obviously have to look out for their future too. Right. So so, you know, kudos to them. I mean, obviously they want to look at their bottom line, not only now, but they have to look at their bottom line, you know, 20, 30 years from now. So yep. I, um, I love that you guys are doing that. You guys are you know, diversifying all, all of that, uh, with your own 10 Creek business outside of, outside of cost. Well, I, I guess let me phrase the question this way. If, if a conventional farmer comes to you guys or goes to the soil health Academy or uh, talks to somebody else and they are inspired, which I am right now, if, if you're inspired and you say, man, I need to do it. I, I need, I'm a third generation farmer. My, my grandfather passed it on to my father. And now my father's passed it on to me and I'm going to make a change. I'm the one that's going to do it. How long would it in general sense take to convert that farm to a regenerative farm and be a productive, profitable farm? One year. One year. One year. You can change your whole practice that way. Come on. One year. You're going to see improvements in your soil. Automatically. Immediately. Immediately. By implementing the six principles, which you can find on the Soil Health Academy website, um, you're going to see improvement in one year. And then if you implement livestock, it's going to be, it's going to, you're going to go three times as fast. So the the theory, the basic rule of thumb is what we can do in one year of livestock, a person not using livestock will take three years to do. So what we do with the impact, what that what those lives, what that cow is doing with its four hooves is doing three years worth of growth on a traditional operation without livestock. So that's why their big push is to integrate livestock, work with the USDA, work with NRCS, work with the DNR, whoever, and connect producers who have cattle, who don't necessarily have the acres with the people who do have the acres, give them both the education on proper practices for grazing and then let them build that partnership, let them build that relationship. So that's a long standing relationship too. So then eventually we don't need these government handouts to step in and try to organize these people to do it. Um, And I think that that's a good place to start. So in one year you can can take the soil which you're farming, turn it into a more nutrient-dense soil, which makes your crops more nutrient-dense, and you can start the process of breaking away from being owned by a bank, yep. Being, yep. being owned by subsidies, being feeling that pressure of, of producing certain crops and all that stuff. That can start changing in one year. Yeah. Definitely. You can, if you can have your operation on paper and see what you're putting in for inputs every year, you can, by, by following these practices, you're going to greatly diminish all those inputs. You're going to start putting money back in your own pocket. And so the other part of this is is the, the overall health of everything. And 
you guys talked about the the number of cancer ca- cases in your guys's county and around your farm and all the people that you guys know and we know that glyphosate's a big issue fertilizers pesticides herbicides all that stuff by by converting over to regenerative ag you're essentially eliminating all of that you're not exposing you, you guys have three daughters and congratulations you guys are going to have a fourth here yep. pretty soon and so as a as a mom and as parents you got to feel really good that we're not subjecting our kids to all this stuff all this junk that's just floating in our air and now you also got your neighbors that are probably doing it which is an issue but you're not directly impacting your family and so you not only take care of yourself you take care of the soil you're taking care of the animals and you now have a an organic farm in which that's a huge buzzword but by switching to regenerative farm you've got an organic farm you've got uh, chickens that uh, produce organic eggs you've got grass truly grass-fed beef um, that are healthier happier uh, your your crops probably taste better um, and, and all of that and that can all be done in one year it almost seems like it's too good to be true and that's what so many people say to us. And that's, it's a big selling point for people and it's a big holdup for a lot of people. You know, you don't wanna, if you hear something that's too good to be true, it usually is. But in the basic breakdown of things, if you look at the human body and the human health, if we treat ourselves with antibiotics too often, cause other issues. We have to look at agriculture and herbicides and fungicides as antibiotics. We're overusing them. And what do we what happens when we overuse it? It doesn't it's not effective anymore right, and it's resistant. gonna cause more yeah. damage. And so we're doing that to ourselves with the products that we're using as inputs, fertilizers, all that stuff. So being a mom is it's a big cringe factor when you look at as a farmer, what we used to do, what we would spray on those, ca- what what we sprayed in the fields. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't want my kids to run across any of those containers just laying around. Um, so that it makes it kind of contradictory to say that I'm going to go out and spread that and spray it around my house and my farm and let my kids go outside and play. But then... <laughs> you You wouldn't put that in your body. So why are we putting it in the soil? Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's a that's a great way to look at it is. And I think that's the one thing that people need to realize is it's not just a piece of dirt or just even soil. There's there are microorganisms in there. That's that's a living, breathing thing. It's a universe. It's a whole universe underneath our feet. And and we are not respecting it in that sense. Um, I want to give you guys this opportunity as we kind of close this thing out is is to how can tell the consumers, how can the consumers help get the word out? Not just this podcast, but how can you, how can the consumers and the listeners take this information and not only help out your guys's farm and what you guys are doing, but spread the word that this is, this is the, what we should be doing. You, the consumer can demand transparency in operations. And that's something that we're seeing a lot more of is people want to know exactly what you're doing. They want to know are you spraying your fields? Are you tilling? Are you, how, how do you treat your animals? And people want to be, like, we offer people the chance to come to our operation 
and physically see what we do on a day-to-day basis. Yeah, if you ever buy a product from us, at any point you can reach out to us and say, we want to hold you accountable, we want to come out to the farm and we want to see your operation and we're going to allow it. Because my dad and I have always had an open-door policy on education at our farm and I will always be a huge advocate for that for adults and children alike. I mean, even if you have a garden in your backyard, there's something that you can do with regenerative agriculture today. Go watch a YouTube video. Go do your own research. Find a farmer in the area. Reach out to us if you have to. But there are so many different people. There's such a lack or such a distance between people living in the city and asking the questions and the people farming and raising the food. If we had that association where we could actually get that communication streamlined, there would be much more transparency. And I feel like there'd be happier people on both sides of that customers being able to ask the questions you know you can't ask an associate at a big box store right what was this what was this cow fed who who processed it what trailer was it on when it went to the butcher i can tell you where the steak was processed i can tell you where that animal was raised i can tell you what pasture that calf was born in i we want to give customers that transparency because that's the transparency that they deserve and as a parent that is a huge thing for me is I want to hold somebody accountable. If I'm buying tomatoes at a farmer's market and there's worms inside of them, I want to be able to go back and say, hey, there's worms in my tomatoes. Right. If I'm buying a $15 steak at Walmart and I come home and there's gristle in the middle of it, I've got nobody to hold accountable. When you're buying products from a farmer, you have their phone number or some way to contact them and you've got that transparency and that accountability that you don't have any other way. So my biggest, I advocate best for finding small farmers in your area, doing the research for farmers markets and stuff, just... Ask questions. Ask questions. That's that's the biggest thing the consumer can do. And if you and if you know a farmer, ask them questions about this. Ask them about that keeps us accountable as well. Yep. That's going to make everybody more accountable for the stuff that they're producing. And you might just find a farmer who's never heard of regenerative agriculture, and they might go home and say something to their wife. And you know, farmers' wives are a huge push in any operation (laughs) because wives in general they're the ones they're the ones that have to deal with it most of the time and that that was true in my family's situation in my mom's case my mom always asked my dad you know why 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 and finally he had to answer and he couldn't answer with well because I said so you know (laughs) when you actually have to formulate an answer and you have to when somebody is holding you accountable there's more likely to be a reason to change yeah and that's you're forcing someone's hand then and that if it works it works yep where where is the state of Minnesota at with regenerative ag so my parents were actually on the founding board for um, soil, health coalition. soil Health Coalition in the state of Minnesota. They worked with South Dakota, who started their own Soil Health Coalition as well. Um, and they are working with producers all over the state of Minnesota to advocate for education, um, networking them with just other producers in the areas, and working with consultations like Soil Health Academy and other companies out there to provide the network needed for that education so that if a farmer comes to if you're a member of the soil health academy or the soil health coalition and you have a question 
you have access to the email with the rosters of every or the email addresses of every member in the state of Minnesota, and you can ask all of them a question. Yeah. You can send so it's it like out. A big to forum. It's a yeah. big forum. Yep. Yeah. And that's what we our goal was with that, so that people didn't feel alone. Uh, that was a it, there was a big stigma when I when my parents started this because. We wouldn't go out to eat in public because, you know, the farmers with their smart-ass comments and all yeah. that. And that was always disheartening for my parents, so they felt really alone. And that took a toll on them mentally that I saw even as a child. So, you know, you want to be advocating to get right. ahead of all right. of that stuff. But that's so empowering for you to watch them go through that struggle and realize you guys are doing the right thing. So and even though you might get ridiculed and criticized a little bit, that even now you say, I know I'm doing the right thing. Yep. And so you can criticize me all you want. Doing the right thing is all that matters to us at this point. What we can sleep at night. Yeah. That's yeah. the biggest thing. You know, and there's no guilt when you, you're trying your best and trying to do things the right way. Well, people way. appreciate hard work. Yeah. You know, I, I still think that's a, that's a tenant that we need to still. I, I think prop up, you know, through all of this stuff that's going on. Like people just, just appreciate somebody doing the right thing and working hard to do it. Um, and, and that's, that's why we've continued to work. We started with just being able to carry beef products because that, that was all my dad had for livestock at the time. And but we keep pushing. We keep, yeah, I keep forcing him to buy more animals. <laughs> um, and then I just show up at home with random animals. I brought home goats this summer without consulting anybody. So, But, hey, they turned out great. They're great weed control. They are. Yeah. So, yeah. So just the constant pushing for change has... And that's something that we bring to the table, and that's something Grant always tells us is if you're going to be on the farm, you need to bring something to the farm. Yeah. And Carly's never-ending ideas and, you know, just trying to continue to change. And like like she said in the beginning, Don and Grant are at another class right now, and they don't know everything, but they're consistently... And constantly trying to learn new things. Yeah. yeah, even though people look at my dad as a teacher, he's still seeking out information. He's still seeking out more knowledge because he believes that that you you never know too much. You're never gonna know enough to stop learning. There's mm-hmm. no justification to ever stop learning. And he's fifty. 55 years old, 50 years old now? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that that mantra, that attitude is what got our farm to where we are today. We were able to do that because we rode here on the shoulders of giants like Ray and Gabe and my dad and people who just wouldn't say no, who wouldn't stop. You know, you... Again, they knew that they were doing the right thing. Right. And then you think about how confrontational their lives have been dealing with other farmers and dealing with this industry. And there's such a, a proponent to loyalty to the practice that it doesn't matter how long, how much proof you have that this practice works until they're at rock bottom. They don't want, they won't learn. And my parents are, are, they've always tried to be patient with people, but now they don't, they won't try to push information on you. You know, they're, they believe that when the student is ready, the teacher will appear. Mm -hmm. And so they are always ready with an open door with their phones on to answer the phone. They're ready to teach people when they're ready to learn, but you can't force someone to understand regenerative agriculture. You can't force someone to understand the importance of carbon 
in humanity and in our society until they are ready to understand that information. And we see that we've got Cody's, uh, we've got in-laws that we try to talk to. And it's been two years of soul conversations. And every time we talk to them, the conversation changes a little bit more. And there's some more questions asked. Yeah. They want to go a little bit deeper, a little bit deeper. Yep. And And it's a slow process for the people who don't have to do it to survive. But we we didn't have that option. We had to survive. And so we didn't get to question it. We just we had to do it. And that, that, that's fine for producers to, you know, dip a toe in and try it out and see and implement small things. But w- as soon as they implement that first small thing, it's going to have a snowball effect no matter what. Mm-hmm. They're going to see something improve, something change. And we see that with people just people who get to do it willfully. Yep. They do one thing and then it's like, well, by the end of the season, they're wishing they would have done five more things. Right. So then the yeah. next year they're they're up in their ante a lot. Yeah. And, the, and it gets them excited. Right. You know? And that's I, I, awesome. That's, I think that's a huge thing is like change doesn't have to be hard and drudgery and, and full of anxiety. It can be exciting. Right. And that's why I love the idea of advocating for people, gardeners, anybody to learn about soil health and to practice it because, you know, if you've, if you've got a garden in your backyard and you've got a six-year-old kid, I've got a five-year-old daughter at home, she watches everything I do, she hears everything I say, and she asks questions. So when we're in the garden and we're planting uh, wild flowers for the pollinators, I'm explaining to her, you know, this is what this is going to do. So, so she goes to school and tells her kindergarten class all about soil health. So if a five-year-old can learn it, yeah. anybody can learn yeah. it. You yeah. know, it's just the basic understanding of you might have to change your viewpoint on a few things. Sure. You, your it's understanding. Learning. It's progress. That's just what we're supposed to do. It's though. growth. I mean, that's yeah, it's growth. Growth is, growth is great. I mean, that's what we should be doing. That's what we should be striving for. Um, you know, I, I don't know what I can do. I mean, obviously we're talking here, and, and I don't know who's all going to hear this, but I want you guys to know that – I'm an advocate for you guys. I think this is incredible what you guys are doing. Um, you know, when I reached out to you guys and you guys quickly reached back out, it was like, okay, this is going to be great. You guys are super <laughs> responsive. And, and um, you know, I immediately knew that this was this is going to be something that people needed to hear. And, and this is going to be great. And so I, I will always be a sounding board for, for this process, for what you guys are doing. Um, so in any way that I can help um, – I want to put it out there that I want to help you guys. And so that being said, please give everybody your your website, um, how people can get a hold of you, how, how they can get a hold of your products that you guys offer. I know you guys, um, I think it said on the website that eggs are coming. That Yes, they are available yeah, now. They're available now. Yep. Okay. So yep. now you guys can, now the people can buy your, your yummy eggs and all that stuff. But please tell everybody, uh, blast it out there, whatever your Facebook, Instagram, whatever, website, anything. To get so we're on Facebook at 10, or 10 Creek Range. We're on um, Instagram at 10 Creek Range as well. Uh, our website is www.tedcreekrange.com. Our email address, you can contact, all of our contact information and everything is on there. You can actually send us a message directly through the website. We've got beef, pork, and poultry available, as, lo- as well as eggs um, picked fresh daily. And then here in November, we're actually launching a candle and um, soaps and salts, like soaking salts line as well. And um, all of those products are non-GMO natural um, 
holistically sourced recycled materials, uh, a completely no waste system that I've spent months researching and coming up with. So I'm really excited about that. Um, so yeah, visit our website. And, and we do get up to the metro area. Yes, you can order for mm-hmm. the metro area. We come up and you can pick up at the we'll, we'll, trailer. Yep, we'll deliver to your door if need be with COVID and everything going on. We'll deliver right to you and you don't even have to interact with us. And you yeah. can pay online. So there's completely no contact, yeah. contactless. No, no, no. Yep. And hopefully the candles and stuff will be able to ship that stuff. So if you're outside of Minnesota, yeah. you'll have yep. access to it. But we are just... We're really excited that people are starting to hear about regenerative agriculture and ask questions. Yeah, I love it. And you guys are great advocates for it. You guys are very informational, very educational, and obviously very passionate. So, Cody, Carly, this has been awesome. Thank Thank you guys um, for carving out some time. I know that you guys don't get get up to the Twin Cities very often, but um, we came up with a date. We came up with a time. We made it work. We did it. And I want to thank you guys. Yes, thank you you. so much for having us. Thank you. All right. We appreciate it. Woo. Well, there it is. I hope you guys really enjoyed uh, that podcast. Super informational, very educational, really important for, I think, where we're at as a country, as a as a planet, and what we can do. And just, man, just the simple things that we can change can make big differences, not just for us, for uh, but for generations down the road. So thank you guys for listening. I really want to thank Cody and Carly for coming in to sit down with me. Uh, again, 10 Creek Range. Look up all their products. They have some new products even coming out uh, right in time for the Christmas season. Um, All of their meats, everything that they raise is non-GMO, organic, grass-fed, all that yummy goodness, all those those things that we find important now, uh, they provide it. I also want to thank uh, my new sponsor, Pick and Shovelware. Thank you guys so much for jumping on the podcast, Uh, Douglas and Todd Bourbon and, uh, and Wexford Harbor Insurance. Thank you guys all so much for supporting. Uh, Dave Yeager, uh, my, my audio guy, thank you so much as well. And please, everybody, subscribe, like, leave comments. All that stuff is greatly appreciated. Please tell your friends and family. And until next week, we'll see you then. Bye.